Welcome to the Untold Podcast, capturing the culture's imagination through speculative fiction. I'm your host, Nathan James Norman. With the Untold Picture Contest in our rearview mirror, we turn our attention toward episode 100. Yes, there's lots of podcasts out there that hit the 100 episode mark in considerably less time than us, but I like to think that we're doing something a little more unique with a little more finesse. I haven't fully decided what we're doing for the Big 100, so if you have ideas, shoot us a note, Nathan at UntoldPodcast.com, or just hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Today's story is from returning author and Untold Podcast enthusiast, Fred Heimbaugh. Frederick Garrow Heimbaugh is the author of Dear Son over at Everyday Fiction, Countdown in the 100 Worlds Anthology, and The Best Workout in Sersova. He was editor of the podcast Protecting Project Pulp, throughout its run. He can be found on the internet as Fredosphere and in the real world as a resident of Ann Arbor, Michigan, along with his family. And be sure to check out his alternative history novel, The Devil's Dictum, wherein the United States was found by pirates. Listeners of Untold Podcast will remember Heimbaugh from episode 65, All Those Bulging Bellies. You can connect with Frederick Garrow Heimbaugh on Twitter under the name Fredosphere. Look at the show notes for all the direct links. Today's story originally appeared in the Planetary Venus Anthology. So now, without further ado, the Untold Podcast is proud to present Rocket Raising by Frederick Garrow Heimbaugh. They were careful to let a girl know what was coming. They knew how much they were asking. Elder Laudenslager, one of five who governed the Millerite planetoid, had arrived at the Bontrager home, unexpected, on a Saturday evening, after the supper dishes were put away. His demeanor in the lamplight was solemn, but not apologetic. Miriam sat silent throughout his talk. She could feel the eyes of her siblings and cousins upon her. They were guessing what Miriam had understood from the moment he had arrived. A great and terrible disaster was about to fall upon her. We've received communication from the Yoderites, said the Elder. Since the Yoderites were light years away, this announcement was fraught. They have need of an exchange. Four boys and one girl. An exchange. Adolescents from each community. Swapped. To maintain the genetic health of the small communities. We'll be needing a bit of Miriam's DNA. It was obvious he would ask for Miriam's. He had not come to this house out of all the houses in the Millerite community to trade idle news, and Miriam was the only member of the Bontrager clan near optimum age. Miriam was fourteen. The genetic test would be a mere formality. Surely Miriam's DNA was already on record at the hall. Miriam felt faint. She was afraid she would fall out of her ladder-back chair at the realization of what was being asked of her. She focused on her cousin's melodramatic gasps and whispers, and that steadied her. Their reaction gave her something to despise. For the exchange, the elders would call adolescents based on their genes, but as Elder Laudenslager carefully reminded them, the call must be freely accepted. The community compels no man, he quoted. Miriam's Vati was a man not known for his patience. It will be her decision and not yours, he said redundantly, not hiding his rage. And if she answers nay, it will be only what you elders... Miriam will appear at the hall as you ask, said Miriam's mutty. 
She stood up to draw attention to the woman's side of the dining room, thrusting her chin like a butcher knife. All eyes pivoted and all mouths closed. With that, the discussion ended. How Mutty loved silencing vain talk. After a sleepless night, Miriam appeared at the hall bright and early. A brittle old elderess directed her to the lab, the room with the computer screens and the sterile surfaces. Erica, the genetic engineer, was expecting her. She greeted Miriam in a white lab coat. This was as the rules required, given her work. The coat covered a plain, pale blue dress identical to Miriam's and every other woman's. Erica swiped the inside of Miriam's cheek with a bit of cotton. That was all. On the walk home, Miriam passed a puddle in the road. It was the closest thing to a mirror in this Amish world. But Miriam did not pause to look at herself. She already knew she was beautiful. That was the truth. There was no point pretending otherwise. Miriam watched two darling schoolboys, less than ten, pick stones out of the dirt road and throw them at fence posts. In their straw hats, black suspenders, and dark blue shirts, they were miniature copies of their own Vati. Intense desire stopped Miriam in her tracks. She wondered what her sons would have looked like, the ones she would have made with Hiram Hirschberger, if she were to have made them with him. Which might have been, were there any way she could justify refusing the call, the call she was certain God willed her to accept. Hiram came by the house later that very day. He was still boyish and shy, shy enough to hide his feelings, young enough to hide them badly. Boys and girls never mixed, so he had never spoken to her. But a girl knew things. Hiram came in by the common door. Mutty led him to the parlor with a disapproving scowl edged with amusement. She pointed to a chair, but Hiram stood in the center. Miriam discovered a reason to go to the kitchen next to the parlor. She heard Hiram say, I have heard the news of Miriam. Miriam's heart began to pound. There is no news of Miriam, and you know the rules, Mutty told him. Mutty did not order him out. So much for the rules. I know the news, and I know the rules. If she is to go to the Yoderites, there can be no harm in my speaking to her one time. His argument won the day. Mutty went to where she knew Miriam was lurking. She rolled her eyes and jerked her head toward the parlor. I want you to tell me one thing, Hiram began, Miriam hardly even in the room. Hiram blushed, stuck out his hand, withdrew it, blushed deeper, and stammered. Miriam filled the tortured delay by going to a rocking chair. She passed within a few inches of Hiram. Their fingers might have brushed together. My name's Hiram. Of course, you know me, Miriam. It's just we never, you know, spoke. Miriam Hirschberger. Mrs. Hiram Hirschberger. It was not the first time Miriam had tried out the fit of those names. He and she were but distantly related. 
Given the rules about intermarriage and the customary age differential among couples, there were only about a dozen boys on the entire sparsely populated planetoid Miriam could have permissibly married. That the boy she loved was among them was one in a thousand gift, and Miriam had always distrusted that miracle. That they were now to be separated came almost as a relief. No one should be so lucky. Hiram's fretful fingers sought to reweave the coarse straw of his hat. I just want to make sure you understand you, you can say no. You don't have to do what they say. They're just asking. You can stay. It's your right. Nobody will think less of you if you say no. Fact is, some of us would be glad if you stayed. I suspect most everybody would be glad. Throughout Hiram's chatter, Miriam focused on the adorable encircling dent where the brim of Hiram's hat and sweat had molded his blonde hair tight against his head. Hiram's voice quieted, but did not waver. I want you to stay. That was it. The boy really was everything Miriam had dreamed him to be. Miriam spoke, her own voice altered by the electricity in the room. Not real electricity. That was not allowed in the house. Donkey, Hiram. I want to stay too. Hiram's eyes awoke with hope. Miriam moved quickly to amend. I haven't decided what I will do. They haven't even asked me yet. Hiram's mouth opened, then closed. He had already made the only point he could possibly make. I haven't decided anything. Miriam lied. How was she going to find the courage to break Hiram's heart? Wasn't it enough she had broken her own? Mutty came into the parlor. Her timing was perfect. Hiram nodded and left without a word. That night, the five elders visited the house. All the Bontrager clan assembled in the dining room. Miriam among the women. The men sat at their side, the side with three empty chairs. Elder Laudenslager told them the expected. Miriam's genes would be the best addition to the Yoderite gene pool. The elders were formally calling her to the exchange, subject to her assent. Vati wasn't going to stand for it. How dare you ask more from this family? He pointed at the empty chairs. Miriam has given three brothers. Isn't that enough? Two years ago, the planetary authority had taken notice of the Millerites and decided their exclusive use of a moon could no longer be permitted. Soldiers had landed to clear the way for the immigrants. There were plenty of underpopulated worlds within the PA's control, so the act was interpreted as an attack on the Amish way of life. The elders had drawn a line in the sand. They decided three men would be sent to face the PA soldiers down. The risk was significant. The three were selected by lot from among the men aged 16 to 50. The lottery, or rather, God's hand working through the lottery, had reaped a terrible harvest. Against extreme odds, all three lots had fallen upon Miriam's older brothers. The youngest of them had just turned 16. The elders' plan worked, in a sense. The three brothers, unarmed of course, 
faced the soldiers in their ranks and tanks. They blocked the path and defied orders to stand down. Some hothead began firing his weapon, and moments later Miriam's brothers were on the ground, their blue shirts darkening from fatal wounds. Millerites in lab coats standing nearby caught it all on video and broadcast it throughout the star system. The scandal forced the resignation of the system governor. The soldiers withdrew, and the Bontragers buried their dead. This is no arbitrary decision, Elder Laudenslager said, keeping his voice level. And God's ways are mysterious. The needs of the community are clear. He reached for his lab coat with one hand and his portable screen with the other. Let me show you the spreadsheets of the genetic... To hell with your charts! Vadi pounded the long dinner table. The profanity was utterly novel. A violence as unprecedented as the volley that had killed his sons. Miriam despised him. What kind of fool rails at God? Elder Laudenslager stood sagacious and silent. Vati, shamefaced, retreated to defensible ground. The decision is hers. So it is. If she refuses, the call will pass to the next most suitable girl. Miriam was prepared right then to give her assent. She could not imagine saying no to any lawful authority, but her sleepless night had stiffened her joints, and the moment passed. A few of her younger cousins asked pointless questions about the risks and rigors of space travel, and the elders gave reassuring answers. No one expected Miriam to respond immediately, and the meeting broke up soon after. The next day, Miriam joined the other girls out back to wash clothes. Her silly cousins waved her away, as if hard work were not exactly what she needed. She took hold of the handle of the washing machine and pushed it back and forth with a will. A male cousin brought her a letter. Use of mailboxes was completely informal, and anyone could have dropped it off. The note was anonymous. You, you should refuse, refuse the call said the terse note. It is, it is God's, God's will you refuse it. it. That was all. Miriam inspected the note, made of coarse Amish paper, but she did not expect to identify the sender. Whoever sent it, he or she had lost Miriam's respect. Words without a name to back them were beneath her contempt. Beyond that, Miriam was certain she and God knew better than the unnamed author. As Miriam was sewing the torn bits of paper to the wind, she heard Mutty's call. She joined both her parents in the parlor. This is your decision, Vati announced. Mercy, he was still going on about that. You're young, so you might not be thinking of how this will affect your whole life. <sighs> Gracious heavens, Carl, the girl is not an idiot, said Mutty, her voice as caustic as lie. It's very true, she said to Miriam. This is your decision. No or yes. The answer is completely by your say-so. The silence went on so long, Miriam was compelled to speak. I haven't decided. That was a cowardly lie. The answer is plain, and soon twill be plain to you, said Vadi. He stood up. 
The horses need looking after. By the end of the day, word went around that the Shrock Boy and the Byler Boy had prayerfully accepted their calls. The next day, Miriam was churning butter in the milk house. The cinder blocks could not keep out the heat, and the door was wide open. Through it, Miriam saw Hiram approach the house, not keeping to the path. She watched, the plunger motionless in her hands, as he pushed his way into the woman's wing. Miriam held her breath so as to hear the shouted questions, first astonished, and then indignant. She continued to hold her breath, and her heart pumped hard. At the expected moment, Hiram burst out the kitchen door and strode straight down the slope toward the milk house. Mutty followed him so far as the steps of the back porch and regarded him from those commanding heights. Miriam, I have something to tell you, said Hiram. Miriam still held the plunger motionless. She discovered, however, that breathing could not be avoided. Hiram proceeded to do the opposite of talk. As he glared at her, she thought how she had never seen him so purposeful. A blush that set aflame his freckly cheeks. With wide, bright eyes, flared nostrils, and quivering lips, he was more desirable than she imagined a young man could be. And yet, he did not speak. Hiram, Miriam began. I want you, Hiram declared. He could have left it at that. I want you to stay, Hiram clarified. And who are these other boys, these Yoderites? He said, suddenly argumentative. He had her there. Due to the mysteries of Einsteinian relativity, the Yoderite boy that Miriam would someday marry was at present not yet born. It was impossible for Miriam to respect or desire a future husband so inferior. There was an easy way to end this. Blame it on God. He could handle it. A simple, God wills that I go, would send Hiram away. She would give Hiram another truth instead. I'm sure these Yoderite boys, whatever they may be, are not half so desirable as our own. Once, when Miriam was quite young, she had indulged her curiosity about the forbidden equipment kept away in the barn. The solar panels, the telephone, the pathogen detector for the milk, all those electric devices, and she had done what she had been warned not to do. She had peeled back some insulation to touch two exposed copper wires. The shock had been rude, but not fatal, just like the shock when her lips touched that word, desirable. Hiram reached for Miriam's hand. Mutty crossed the yard as if propelled by a rocket. Her shape loomed in the doorway. I believe I have indulged you long enough, Hiram Jacob Hirschberger. It's time you went home and troubled my family no more. Hiram did not move. He did not look at the matriarch. Go home! Get! Someone who did not know Mutty might have believed she was angry. Miriam remembered her churning. She broke eye contact to check the butter. No, it was not done yet. <laughs> not nearly. She resumed her work. Hiram left. Mutty watched him go, taking obvious satisfaction with every aspect of the encounter. That evening, Miriam learned the Miller boy and the Troyer boy had discerned God's will and accepted the call. The last of the boys. 
The next day, folks were whispering Miriam's name everywhere. Refusing a call was one thing, but Miriam's silence was selfish. Time and the tidal forces of planets waited for no man. The launch could not be delayed. If Miriam refused the call now, the pressure on the next girl would be enormous. Another note was found in the mailbox and brought to Miriam. She opened and read it. Again, it was anonymous. It was not quite identical to its predecessor. You, you must, must refuse the call. The call. It, it is God's, God's will, will for you. you. It read, and then, the fateful closing. From, From an, an elder. elder. The previous letter earned Miriam's contempt. This one made her laugh. No elder could have produced such a pathetic thing. She set to wondering, who could have been so foolish as to forge it? Try as she might, she could not decide. The letter was discarded, like the first. News came to Miriam's family that the elders would be conferring in an irregular meeting that night. The next morning, more news told them of the elders' decision. Gertrude Lambright would receive a call if any calls were refused. Miriam's name was conspicuously not mentioned. Now the battle lines were drawn. Miriam hunkered down in the house, avoiding even the yard. Vati brightened. Anna Lambright, Gertrude's mother, ostentatiously promenaded in front of Miriam's home, glaring. She had never had cause to walk that part of the road before. Mati glared back from the front porch, enjoying herself immensely. Miriam and her little sisters holed up in the women's wing, pulled aside a curtain, and arranged their faces in a stack to peek out. The next day, the news went about that Gertrude had given hypothetical assent to the hypothetical call. Mutti's mouth never quite broke into a smirk, but Vati laughed out loud when he heard. Anna Lambright accepted defeat and did not return to the battlefield. But still, Miriam said nothing. By the end of the next day, her family's joy was souring. Vati caught her as supper ended. It's time, girl. You must refuse the call. Elder Schwarzendruber came by to explain to Miriam the ways of the Yoderites. In his telling, Yoderites were a bizarre tribe, having countless dietary rules but a bewildering laxity toward electricity. Apparently, they were practically a nest of harlots when it came to the use of electrical engines. Elder Schwarzendruber gave Miriam worried looks, perhaps expecting her to give a little shriek and refuse the call right there. The strange Yoderite ways did not trouble her. That the rules of a community be fairly enforced was her only concern. Let others decide what rules there be. It was, however, long past time she announced her decision, about which no doubt had entered her mind. Just as she began to gather her courage, Elder Schwarzendruber bent down to her and said furtively, Let the Lambright girl go. Losing you would break your Vati's heart. And others. This bit of advice violated the elder's impartiality, and Miriam was disgusted. Did the Lambright girl not have a father too? Though she would not contradict him directly, Miriam returned the elder's meaningful stare with a defiant one. The elder left, disappointed. That night, the last before the rocket would depart, Miriam lay in her bed, unable to sleep, turning her decision over and over in her mind. 
she could find no path forward other than the straight and narrow one leading directly to the Yodorite planet. She heard a tap. She sat up. Someone had thrown a pebble at her window. More noise told her someone was climbing the wall of the house. The window slid up. Hiram crawled into the room. Miriam bit her tongue and said nothing. Just like that, Hiram was kneeling by Miriam's bed, bareheaded. He took her hand in his. Miriam, I love you. This time, he was well rehearsed. I want you to be my wife. I want you to stay here. I want you to tell the elders no. They won't make you go if you say no. The elders say we compel no man, and that means no girl, too. God wants you and I to be together. I'm sure of it. I've never loved any other girl than you, Miriam. I think you love me, too. Do you say I'm wrong? Can you look at me and tell me I'm wrong? That was it for Hiram's speech. Miriam appreciated its thick, steady flow. It was like double cream poured from a narrow-necked jug. It gave a girl time to think. Hiram's invasion of her bedroom was an outrage like nothing in Miriam's experience. Its implication, possibly not intended, was they could consummate their marriage right then and there, deciding the matter definitively. Whatever Hiram's addled mind imagined, Miriam's would not. Shouting, however, or otherwise denouncing Hiram, would be a ridiculous overreaction. Equally futile would be a whispered order to leave. Hiram would argue, and angry whispers do not stay whispers. Miriam's little sisters were in the next room. Hiram's invasion would be the most entertaining thing ever to happen, and they would tell the world. Miriam allowed herself to notice how handsomely the moon illuminated half of Hiram's face, but not too long. She rose, wrapped her quilt around her, and crawled out the window. They walked together across the lawn. Miriam maintained a brisk pace and kept her arms wrapped tight. She went to the willow tree by the stream and sat on one of its two swings. Hiram took into his hands the other swing. I told you I love you, said Hiram. <sighs> no more lying. I love you too. I meant what I say. I'm sure the Yoderite boy I will marry will not please me half as much as you would have. Hiram could make no sense of the contradiction. We could become man and wife. T tonight, right now. And then the elders would blame me. You could put the blame on me. So, Hiram was that desperate. An Amish youth's carnal education was both more and less complete than his off-world peers. Miriam and Hiram had been told nothing beyond biblical euphemisms. Samson knew Delilah, but both had witnessed barnyard reproduction. They could have figured it out. I'm going back in, said Miriam. You need to go home. Then why did you tell me you loved me? Hiram began to weep. Miriam looked at Hiram a long moment, enjoying his manly form with a frankness like never before. She stopped abruptly, sensing danger, feeling guilty and infinitely sorry for Hiram, but not sorry enough 
she walked to the house. She had a call. Unlike Lot's wife, she dared not look back. Hiram dared not follow. Thirty minutes later, Miriam was still wide awake and another pebble struck her window. She got up, indignant at Hiram. She looked down upon the yard and was dumbfounded to see Elder Loudenslogger staring up at her window, wearing the most forlorn expression she had ever seen. Great God, would every man on the planetoid be coming to woo at her window before the night was over? Other girls might have simply ignored the embarrassing old man, but Miriam knew she could handle whatever he threw at her. In a minute, she was once again wrapped in a quilt and sitting on the swing. Just like that, the truth came to her. Elder Loudenslugger was the author of the notes. Miriam was amazed. There's something I need to tell you about the death of your brothers, said the elder. This non-sequitur amazed Miriam twice over. I was the one who suggested we send three Millerite men to confront the soldiers. I sent them to certain death. All the elders agreed to it. But it was my idea. <sighs> Not this. Not now. Elder Loudenslogger pressed a farmer's calloused palm against his forehead. The lottery was my suggestion too. I never imagined out of thousands of men... All three lots would fall upon your brothers. Old man, do not blame yourself for gods, thought Miriam. But Elder Loudenslogger was breaking down and speaking through sobbing gasps of air. When I proposed the lottery, I could have stipulated that no family give up more than one man. If only I had thought of that before the lottery. Instead, we opened the slips of paper into our hands and your brothers were holding the three black spots. Changing the rules at that point would have been impossible, don't you see? Don't you see? Miriam did see. Saving a life would have meant taking another, and that would have not been an act of God, but an act of Elder Loudenslugger. After that, I should have gone with them. <laughs> Why didn't I think to go with them? I should have died too. I should have died too. The elder was not addressing Miriam now. Because despite what you say now, you could have not known they would die, thought Miriam. She was not one to second-guess the elders and had little patience for those who did. Elder Loudenslogger said, It would be so easy for you to say no to the call. No one would blame you, even this late. The Lambright girl is ready to go. Refusing would make your Vati so happy. It would make you happy, would it not? Everyone knows you're sweet for the Hirschberger boy. Don't you want to be happy? God doesn't give a damn if I'm happy! Miriam's voice rang with righteous assurance. Elder Loudenslogger shriveled before her words. He looked at her, astonished, even afraid. Like others before him, he could not understand her stubborn unwillingness to rebel. Elder Loddenslogger left without another word. Miriam returned again to her bed, but not to sleep. A veil had been torn from her inner eye, and for the first time in her life, 
Her self-image did not please her. She was repulsed by the ugliness in her soul, so superior and self-righteous. She had planned to accept the call because the alternative was the weak choice. Refusing, she thought, was beneath her. But her arrogant words, with profanity no less, had shown just how vain, how weak she really was. And in second insight, Miriam saw there was more of her mother in her than she had ever imagined. She was a hypocrite and a Pharisee. She had no legitimate reason to accept the call. And yet, she had no reason to refuse it. At last, she found herself in the place where she should have started, on the knife's edge of decision. What if it were God's will she refuse? The rules did not say otherwise. To her shock, Miriam noticed she had never even thought to ask God for direction. She prayed. It was terrifying. It was the first sincere prayer of her life. What if God answered her? How could she be sure it was God? What if he remained silent? The decision would fall back upon Miriam. Arrogant, selfish Miriam. Why would God entrust such an important decision to her? And while these fears distracted her, a novel solution popped into her mind. Oh. Oh no. The answer had come. It had come from somewhere. Maybe it came from God. If not from God, then from her own mind it had come. In that case, would God's silence mean he expected her to act according to what wisdom she possessed? Miriam did not have a neurotic bone in her body. She decided on the spot to adopt the new solution, without the least hesitation or regret. Because the decision required action, she would have to set to work immediately. There was precious little time before dawn. Minutes later, fully dressed and on the road, Miriam scooped up a handful of pebbles. It would be Miriam who would be rattling windows from here on out. But first, Miriam woke Erica, the genetic engineer. Together they went to the lab. Miriam's request was extraordinary, but her future happiness was at stake. What woman would not help Miriam once the stakes were explained? Querying the gene database ought to have been done only at the request of the elders, but the lab coats they both wore covered a multitude of sins. A number of records had to be examined, but Miriam got the answer she wanted with time to spare. She had three houses to visit, each nearby, a manageable number. Three groggy yet wary boys would have to hear the plan, and they would have to agree. They would want to agree, but still... Miriam did not like being hostage to any adolescent boy's good sense. Miriam thanked Erica profusely and ran to her next stop, the Byler house. She woke Jonas Byler with one tossed pebble. He would be the hardest nut to crack, since he had already accepted the call. She reminded him nothing was final until he was questioned before the whole community. Admittedly, Miriam's plan would not fulfill the genetic needs of the Yoderite community as directly as otherwise, but the Amish principle of non-coercion was paramount, especially in betrothal. The Yoderites would have to wait a generation for their precious genes. That was all. When he understood the alternative, Jonas Byler, with evident relief, agreed to change his mind. Exhilarated, Miriam hurried on to the Schwarzendruber home. 
As expected, Hans was easy to convince. Her experience with Stefan Bach was similar. That was good, because dawn was setting the eastern sky aglow. There was no time to conspire with Hiram Hirschberger. She would have to trust in one boy's good sense, after all. Back home, she let herself in at the woman's entrance and heard people stirring in the common rooms. Aunts and cousins did not ask Miriam why she looked so tired. The whole clan gathered in the yard. Every buggy was loaded and they departed for the great rocket barn. During the ride, Mutti reminded the family that Gertrude Lambright had accepted the call. A fresh awareness of her self-righteousness and cowardly dithering gave Miriam a kind of sick dismay. No more waiting. I've decided to accept the call, she said. Vati was past rage. Nor did he imagine he could change her mind. He simply gripped the reins until the blood was wrung from his knuckles. Miriam's little sisters cried in shock. Oh girl, oh girl said Mutti. What am I going to do without you? It was Mutti's forlorn tears that shocked Miriam. Another veil of ignorance was pulled away. Miriam had never suspected she was her mother's favorite. They arrived, and Miriam's parents put on their stoic Amish face. The rocket barn was the largest building on the planetoid, its complex posts and beams forming a beautiful lattice of a computer-aided design. It took many men to push the huge doors open. Inside, the shiny nose of the supine rocket reflected the morning sun. All the horses and men helped draw the behemoth out. Its prodigious circumference barely cleared the filigreed rafters. The launch pad was set in a depression to aid the rocket raising. Ropes were run from the rocket to pulleys hanging on braced lumber towers. Men led stout draft horses into position to haul the fully-fueled rocket upright. A rocket raising was a rare and dangerous event, and everyone was on edge. Micah Lambright took charge, inspecting the ropes and pulleys, looking for kinks. When all seemed ready, he raised his hand. Elder Schwartz and Druber signaled back. Brother Lambright brought his hand down and hollered, Hey up! The women and boys groaned in sympathy as the men and horses jerked the ropes taut. The rocket added its own groans as it began to rise. When it assumed the vertical, a gasp went up. Would the rocket tip? A small cloud of dust rose up, and the rocket's wobble settled. All the people sighed. A few murmurs of, Donkey! were the only expressions of relief. Applause was for other people. The elders mounted a platform. Men freed the rocket from its ropes and led the horses far away. Four boys were called to the platform by the elders to be questioned before the entire community. Johann Miller, do you accept the call to join the Odorites? Will you take the long and dangerous journey, forsaking your home and family, believing it to be God's call on your life? Yes. Eli Troyer, do you accept the call? Yes. Matthias Krock, do you accept the call? Yes. Satisfied murmurs accompanied each answer. Tears had been shed already. Jonas Byler, do you accept the call? Silence. Jonas Byler, do you accept the call? 
No! The murmuring was much louder, and Jonas had to shout, I'm sorry! I do not! The elders recovered from their surprise and waved Erica to the stage. In the sunshine, she was a blaze of white next to the elders' dark blue and black. Erica tapped her hand screen and waited for its answer. Only Miriam knew Erica would not be surprised. Erica cupped her hand to shade the screen. She looked up and said something to the elders. Elder Loudenslager scanned the crowd. Hans Schwarzendruber, come to the platform! A young, nervous voice rang out. I refuse the call! The murmuring intensified. How could Hans decide so quickly? A look of comprehension came over Elder Loudenslager. He found Miriam's face in the crowd and stared at her hard. After a minute, the genetic database spat out another name. Steffenbach, come to... I refuse the call! The crowd took a long time to calm down. Another name appeared on the screen. Hiram Hirschberger, come to the platform! The elders did not watch Hiram make his way forward. They were staring, eyes aflame, at Miriam. They could not utter even one word of rebuke. The rules were the rules. Hiram, do you accept the call? Hiram, young, naive Hiram, stood there, dumb as a sheep. His eyes darted about in confusion. Then he saw Miriam and understood. I accept the call. The crowd, also understanding, murmured a long time. Without being summoned, Miriam climbed the wooden steps. Hiram took hold of her hand. That was not the rules. Miriam, with a voice like a trumpet, said, I accept the call! Waves of emotion passed over the members of Miriam's and Hiram's clans as shock and grief tumbled together in their minds. Only then did Miriam consider the effect of her plan upon Hiram's family. She would weigh the guilt of it later. Now, she was too numb. When the crowd quieted again, Elder Schwarzendruber charged the five young people with their responsibilities to God and man. Elders and eldresses encircled them to lay hands upon them. Someone said a prayer. Miriam heard not a word. The five sojourners entered the hatch. Engineers in lab coats strapped them into couches and gave them injections. One woman among them drew a modesty curtain around Miriam and took the indelicate but necessary actions to prepare Miriam's body for the long sleep of the journey. Miriam knew, outside, the crowd would be withdrawing to a safe vantage point. The drugs in her veins began clouding her mind. She heard a dry-mouthed, fat-tongued mumble. She understood it was Hiram, calling her name sweetly through his own drugged haze. The engineers departed, and Miriam heard the hatch close as if from light years away. After a wait she could not measure, the rocket's engines roared to life. Miriam and her Hiram ascended into the heavens.
that was our story. I hope you liked it. I don't know about you, but I really connected with Miriam. So self-assured, so focused, and yet sometimes wrong too. Until she's right again. Like the promise I made you all the way back in episode one, to never produce a prairie romance. Well, it took 95 episodes, but I finally found a way to let you all down. <laughs> Great stuff. Before we go, remember that... This podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network at ChristianGeekCentral.com. Please remember to like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, blog about us, leave us a nice review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find us. Support us on Patreon and tell your friends. The Untold Podcast has been funded by Jason Brannon, Jen Finelli, Fred Heimbaugh, Clayton Webb, Parker J. Cole, Laura Van Aaron Donkbaugh, Mike and Andra Williams, Spirit Blade Productions, The Retro Rewind Podcast, Rudy Diaz, Jackie Hanna, Deborah Dunson, Amanda St. John, GS Muse, and Nathan and Casey Butler. And I'm Nathan James Norman, reminding you, the community compels no man. Schwartz and Druber. Frederick Heimbaugh, you're killing me. Elder Schwartz and Druber. <laughs> Schwartz and Druber. Elder Schwartz and Druber here. Come into Schwartz some of your Drubers if you get my drift. Elder Schwartz. <laughs> oh, man. I can't do this now. I need to take a break.
Welcome to the Untold Podcast, capturing the culture's imagination through speculative fiction. I'm your host, Nathan James Norman. Well, welcome to the inaugural episode of the monthly podcast featuring short speculative fiction from a Christian worldview. Speculative fiction is a rather broad term, so month after month we'll feature science fiction, fantasy, horror, supernatural thrillers, and prairie romances. <laughs> I'm just kidding about the prairie romances. The Untold Podcast will never feature prairie romances, 